Well, our guest today is quite an interesting fella. Uh, if you've been to the northwest area of Arkansas, you either know of him or you know him personally. We talked to him today from his hometown in Bentonville. Jens, Andy Chasteen. Great dude. You can say that again. Yes, it all starts with a fantastic haircut. I used to have that myself back in my younger years. Um, it was great chatting with him and all these projects and this community building they have going on. It looks like they are the example of a lot of cities should follow. Yeah, I got to experience it firsthand uh, just over a week ago. It was phenomenal. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation with Andy Chasteen. All right, everyone. Welcome, Andy Chasteen, to Bobby and Jens. Thank you all. Thank you all for having me. I'm honored to be on here. I've, uh, I've followed both of y'all for years on TV, so nice to see you on another TV screen, actually, right in front of me. <laughs> but... But Andy, isn't this a a weird weird world? Like I met you at the Rule of Three that you promoted back in 2022. I got yep. to ride bikes with you last week, and boom! Now you're on the Bobby and Jens podcast. I, I love it. That was fast. That was real fast. Well, before we get into us uh, into it, our viewers can see you, but our listeners can't. You are sporting Jens's favorite haircut. Jens actually had a mullet when he turned pro for for credit. Uh, what what was that? Gone back in the day, right, Jensy? Yep, gone. Yeah, and then turned into credit recall. Yep, I had the mullet, and I still <laughs> believe I look the best ever with that mullet. And here's a little uh, extra info for all of you folks. My wife absolutely laughed when we went to the movies to put her hand on my shoulder and play with my hair because it was nice, long and soft. She liked it, especially if the movie would, if the movie would get a little scary. She liked to actually, you know, play with my hair. So yeah, that was a big selling point of myself to my wife now. It's funny you say that because um, I have a mullet because my wife loves it. And uh, she actually threatens, uh, and she will, she can attest to this. She threatens to divorce me when I cut it off. So I've had this thing for at least 10 years now. It's just a regular haircut to me now. So, yeah. Well, you wear it well, my friend. But <laughs> listen, listen, Bentonville, Arkansas is on the tip of everyone's tongues at the moment. But, you know, what's going on there didn't happen overnight, you know, up there in, in northwest Arkansas. But right. we're going to talk about that more a little bit later. But I want to talk about you. What is your story? What is your connection to Bentonville? Oh, man, you know, so I grew up uh, kind of across the border. Bentonville is right in the northwest corner of Arkansas. So we are 15 miles from the southern southwest Missouri border. And I grew up right across the border in southern Missouri. And so uh, I spent uh, most of my life in a very small town. Long story short, I went off to college and played basketball in college. And really, without going into too much detail, I kind of ended up back here through bikes, mostly bikes, really. And uh, kind of the rest is history. I kind of got connected here into the bike realm. And um, and I do a lot of advocacy work and uh, obviously, you know, events uh, in, the, in, in the event space. I've shot photography for cycling for years. And so... 
I'm in it. I'm fully in it. And, uh, and Bentonville is home and we call it heaven. My wife and I do. We love it here. So, yeah, that's the short story. I mean, I could go into a much longer, much longer, uh, uh, story behind it, but, uh, that's kind of the, what, what we would call the cliff notes version for us old guys. So then, um, what was there first for you, your own bike and you discovered you love riding the bike and then you decided I want to work in the bike industry Or did you just got into the industry and then eventually bought your own first bike? I backed into the bike industry. So it was, it was very much by accident. And I even backed into cycling in general. Um, you know, when I first got into cycling, it would have been 2003, 2004, quite honestly, in, in your heydays, um, essentially. Because I remember... I remember I, I, I graduated college. I had been playing basketball in college for four years and I graduated college and I thought, you know, what's next? And I got into rock climbing and all these kind of fringe, you know, niche sports. And I got into ultra trail running. This is a very weird story, but I got into ultra trail running, but to, to train for these long 50 mile, 100 mile runs, I would go on like a 10 mile run And then I would go straight onto a bicycle. I wasn't a cyclist, but I would go on straight onto a bicycle and ride that bicycle for four hours to mimic the training for running without having to, without hurting myself, obviously. I'm a pretty big guy, I'm about 200 pounds. And so I backed into cycling just by using it as a training tool for running. And I got fully and completely obsessed with it. I'll never forget my first big, 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 big ride was the triple bypass out in Colorado. Blue's probably 2004, 2005. And I'll never forget when we were out there, we were watching the tour. I'll never forget that. And so, you know, without, you know, without, you know, making your heads too big here, you know, you guys were a lot of my inspiration for becoming obsessed with the bike. You know, I watched you guys race for years and, um, and I still am obsessed with watching world tour bike racing. And so I got into cycling. I raced amateur, you know, road for years on years on years and got into mountain biking and gravel. And I kind of just backed into the industry first by just as a hobby, taking photos of cycling. because I just, I picked up a camera and was very interested in it. And then I, uh, I quit my, I quit my day job and decided to be a photographer. And really the rest is history. I kind of backed into the cycling industry industry through photography. And then I picked up clients in the bike industry and I, I went into consulting, started my own company and uh, still consult for many bike brands in the industry. And uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I got into it. And it was very much by accident. And it was, it was this, it was this really nice way for me to move into a, a realm of making money that I was passionate about, that I would, that I did for free before I was even able to make money on it. So it's kind of this like fortuitous story that I kind of accidentally slid into this realm. And here I am kind of now, you know, in, in the bike advocacy scene, um, you know, telling people how amazing, you know, Bentonville is, and I'm still taking photos and I still consult with brands and um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool story. It's a, it's, I'm very thankful every day I get to do, get up and do, what I would do for free for money. So I love it. I love it so much. So when did this vision of everything that's going on in Bentonville, because I saw it firsthand last week and it's massive, but when did this vision start? 
Well, this would have been probably early 2000s, you know. Um, you know, the vision really came from Tom and Stuart Walton, you know, becoming very into mountain biking. And, you know, I can't speak for, for them, but I, th I think what really happened is they just became cycling fanatics. Um, they were obsessed with mountain biking. And, the, you know, their first idea was, Let, let's, let's build some trail, you know. And it really was this interesting, uh, I think Gary Vernon would be a really good guy to talk to as well because he's kind of been a lot, you know, very like overseeing a lot of the trail building efforts here in town um, over the, over the you know, past decade or more. And, you know, I think what he'll tell you is it was really kind of a build it and they will come thing. And it started off small and it started off with, a, you know, a simple dream. It was to build a bunch of single track that we love to ride. And that's really kind of how it was born. And now, obviously, it's taken on a different, uh, a different flavor, you know, in the past, you know, few years or more. And so there is obviously a vision and a plan, and uh, an infrastructure behind that, and ideas behind that. But um, that's kind of really how it started off. I, I, I wish I could tell you that it was just this grand scheme to take over the cycling world, but it was certainly not. It was born from a passion. Of cycling which I, which is what I think makes it sustainable for me as a somebody who isn't too involved with building trails or mountain biking let's say uh, you and your committee or your friends your company uh, first of January you decide we want to build a 10 mile lap in this forest or on that mountain first of January you come up with the ID at what time you would write that lap to be finished six months one month one week or two years whereas you know you know you got to ask the owner of the property first and and there's probably a few other things to take care of just for my better understanding how long from the id to the finished trail sometimes it depends um what i can tell you this is this will probably give you a little bit better indication on how kind of how fast we're building trail here so we've in the past, we've focused on a lot of different types of trail building, which, you know, which could be like hand cut or machine cut or, you know, cross country trail or maybe like, uh, you know, uh, flow trail or downhill jumps, things like that. Um, but historically speaking, give or take, you know, we could be uh, we're averaging, you know, in the realm of maybe three miles of trail per week here. Now that. Obviously, that raises and lowers at times. Um, as of recently, we've focused a little bit more heavily on hand cut trail, so which would be less machine work and more building trail by hand, which generally speaking, you know, creates a little bit more of a sustainable trail system um, where you are. And so, from conception to to finish, you're looking at obviously a you know a, a, a you know, a, a variable, um, on, on, let's say a 10 mile trail. But what I can tell you is historically speaking, we've been building about three miles of trail per week in Bentonville for quite some time now. So we are, we are hot and heavy and quite honestly, we're kind of just getting started, which is kind of exciting as well. And also scary. <laughs> I mean, I saw some of these quote unquote hand built trails uh in person last week and you know you'd be out in the middle of nowhere it felt like and then all of a sudden there would be like this formation of rocks and I was like wait a second somebody actually put these here 
Um, when you say that you can do that amount of, of week, uh, trail building per week, how many people are part of that? I mean, it's not just one guy out there with a chainsaw. Um, it's a full crew of guys and we rode sure. with our, but your buddy Woody and he seems to oversee a lot of that, but like how many people are on that crew? Well, so Bentonville has a myriad uh, of trail building companies that are headquartered here who quite honestly, most of them have started here. Um, you have a lot of different trail companies. You got Woody's company, which is progressive trail design you have rock solid trail, you have rogue trail, you have a bunch of different trail companies who have really kind of uh, had their birthplace here in Bentonville as a really as a result of our trail building efforts here. And what what a lot of those companies have done is they've kind of built their chops here. And now, for example, you've got Woody with Progressive. I mean, he's building trail all over the world now um, because his business has grown to the point of you know, he's building in Durango. He's building in, where did he say he was building that, you know, in Europe soon? I can't remember what he told me when we were riding. I can't remember that, but yeah. really it's, it's, it's this, it's this big, um, it's this big mixture of professional trail building companies building trail here. So the numbers are, are huge, Bobby. There's there, you know, I, I couldn't even give you a number on the amount of trail crew that are out on trails at any given time here. So and obviously that fluctuates too between seasons as well. So, so then at the very early beginning, like very early, way just like sneaking into the forest and like carving out the trail without asking a local farmer and just, hey, let's have a try at this. Or, uh, I mean, you don't have to answer if, if this gets you in trouble. But I was just <laughs> curious if you just, hey, let's just go into this forest and cut a few trees. Well, I can't personally speak to to the early days because I honestly like, actually wasn't around in the early days. But uh, but from the stories that you know I've been told from Gary and some of the other guys, it uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't building you know what you would call like ghost or rogue trails. It was more of building trails on people's private property that you know there was permission, or it was uh, it was partnering with a with a city or local government, right? So maybe prop like POA land, you know, property owners association land, things like that, and building and working out easements through these uh, different types of, of lands uh, for trail. And what we found, what we found over the years, I say we, again, I wasn't, I wasn't around in the early days, but what we have found over the years is that um, building trail on your, on your private property in Bentonville raises your property value. So now where, you know, in the early days, they had a hard time talking people into building trail on the property. Now, you know, generally speaking, a lot of folks are begging to have trail built on the property property because it, uh, well, first, it gives you a connection to all the other trail systems in town, right? And two, it also raises your property value, which is really cool. And the, uh, the rec there's, a, there's a very interesting recreational statute in Arkansas that, um, that basically, you know, It basically states, and I'm simplifying it here, but if you do not charge for that activity, so if you're not charging for that, say that mountain bike trail that goes through your property, you're not liable for any accidents that happen on it, which is a really, really, there's a really nice like lower lowering of regulatory, you know, statutes that allows for um, this widespread progression of trail building here in the, not only in Bentonville, but the state of Arkansas. What makes 
a good trail in your opinion? You know, I saw how much <laughs> machinery and I saw how much effort, but for you, like, what do you think about or suggest to these trail builders um, to make that trail that you prefer that perfect trail? <laughs> well, I am not a, uh, I would, I actually wouldn't consider myself an expert mountain biker. I loved a mountain bike and, Ooh. um, and, uh, well, you rode with me, you know, you know how, what kind of a, yeah, I call BS um, Yenzi. He was, he was amazing. <laughs> so he, he's definitely downplaying his abilities here. <laughs> well, that's not true, but what I will say about what makes a good trail is, um, again, I, I, I hate to say it. I have never personally built trail. I just haven't. I, I'm not the guy that gets out there and, you know, with the, uh, with the tools and gets down and dirty on it. But what I will say is that professional trail building companies, and especially the guys and girls that are out on the trail building every day, they consider it an art form. And so it really is a piece of art. How does that trail flow? How does it climb? Is it a sustained climb or do you get, you know, do you get segments of reprieve during that climb, right? Where you can, where you climb a little bit and you get two or three seconds of downhill before you're back up, right? And how does that flow? How does that trail flow on a descent? So what about, you know, what about features that you're putting in, whether it be rock features or rock gardens or technical climbing or that type of thing? The, these trail building companies are serious in what they do. And it, it truly is an art form for them, which is, which is really cool. And a lot of times you can tell that when you ride these trails and a lot, and a lot of times when it, when a trail, uh, does get built, we'll go out before it gets opened, we'll go out and ride it and give feedback on that, uh, to that trail building company on, you know, maybe, maybe this berm could be steepened or shallowed in this section. And this is why. And, you know, it even goes into drainage. Like, how is this trail going to last for the next, you know, 10, 20 years without maintenance or very little maintenance? So there's there's water drainage. We get a lot of rain here in Bentonville. You know, Bobby, that the the, the gradients are steep. The climbs are steep. How do these how do these trails not wash out uh, when we get maybe a big, you know, downpour two or three inches in a day or two of, you know, of rain? And so these trail building companies have really turned to design, uh, science, art, and really like it, it is a true wonder how some of these trail building companies build these trails to be sustainable, low maintenance, um, and ride um, so beautifully. Yeah. So um, then in, in my touristic image in my mind i would show yeah. up in bentonville at the parking lot yeah and there would be let's say five to ten panels hey the black coated is the hardest one red is easier blue is for the kids green is for the little kids or whatever and an explanation to it is that how it is or is this just in my mind i mean how do people find a circuit that suits them and is not too much for them sure that's actually that's a great question Ian. So, and um, generally speaking, their you know trails are they do have a rating system like a green, blue, black. Generally speaking, is how the the uh, and that simplifies it. You know, there's double blacks. There's there could be a uh, a green that has a little blue in it, right? A few a little bit more technical sections. But generally speaking, we have a a, a rating system here. And um, when you're when you just when you show up to ride. There are, there are uh, very useful uh, phone apps that you can use 
One of them would be trail forks and another one would be mountain bike project where you can actually get on your phone and it literally just kind of shows you the exact, all the trail systems. You can click on that trail system and it'll show you, uh, this is how long it is. This is how much climbing it has in it. This is the rating for it. This is where the trailhead starts. It kind of has that overall information for you to go out and uh, and have a good experience on that trail system. Now, what I will say, Yins, as well, one thing that we've really focused on here in Bentonville is connectivity. So uh, you noticed this, Bobby, where you stayed in Bentonville, you stayed kind of close to the square, like kind of right downtown. We're, Bentonville's not a big city. It's it's a you know it's like a you know midsize, maybe big. What what you'd call like a a big town is what it is. But where where Bobby stayed. You can literally right out the back of his uh, condo, you can jump right on single track. And from that single track, you can access hundreds of miles of single track without almost without ever getting off of single track. So we what we do here is we focus on connectivity. How much how how accessible are trails from neighborhoods in town? So really kind of our goal is to make sure that like folks can hop off of uh, hop onto a trail from their neighborhood from almost anywhere. That's really kind of the vision and the goal. And then another goal is to connect all these different trail systems together so that there's no disconnects, right? So that you don't have to drive your car over to, to this trailhead. And then maybe you want to ride another trail system, you know, across town and you got to get back in your car and drive over to that. The whole idea is to make it all connectable, right? We want you to be able to connect it and to ride all these different spurs of trails to get to where you want to go at any given time. Um, yeah. Well, I know I wasn't there for very long. We only rode uh, for three days there, but one of the most unique features that I just can't explain, I was trying to explain it to, to Jens and our producer, Mark, was the castle. Can you tell us <laughs> the castle, where yeah. the idea, because that was, it looked like an amusement park and you had multiple different ways of going down the castle. Um, you guys picked the black one. I picked the green one and just, you know, stay, kept my uh, kept my tires on the dirt. But tell us and our listeners and viewers about that castle project, because it is one of the most unique things. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. To get to the, okay, so the castle kind of really is the culmination of what we call our hub concept. So generally speaking, a hub is a is a gathering place most of the time at the top of a climb, right? Like a uh, maybe it's at a high point in a trail system. And that hub is a gathering place for riders. And uh, it's a centrally located place where you've got maybe three, four, five, six, seven, eight different trails that, 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 that you know, spider off of that hub. And so you have all these different options. Like you said, for example, at the castle, you do this climb. What would you say that that climb is, Bobby? Maybe a less than a mile climb to get up to the top there, and it's very, yep. it's 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 contoured to where it's kind of like switchbacks to get up to it, right? So it's a it's a gentle climb to get up to the castle, and it's this beautiful rock castle. But at the top of the castle, you have these options to go down all of these different like kind of little downhill runs, whether it be a green line or a blue line or a black jump line or a black line that's like real technical rock garden descent, right? Most of them are jump lines, but um, some of them have some, like, some, some tech flow in it. And so the whole idea is for one, it allows you and your, you and your friends that are out riding together to climb up to the spot 
And if you want to rest, you can rest there. You can hang out there. You can take pictures. You can do whatever you want. But it also gives the rider options, right, to, to, to go down these different, uh, these different, I guess we would call them almost like ski runs, essentially, right? Um, like at a ski resort, uh, based upon your ability or your desire of the type of trail that you want to go down. And we have hubs like that everywhere. We have hubs on in every trail system that we have. Um, that give you options, which is really nice because what we want what we want to offer here is a little bit of something for everyone. We want to have the black trails, the the huge jump lines, the technical descents and climbs with huge rock gardens for the advanced riders. But we want these green lines for maybe newer or beginner riders or even people that are maybe it's their first ride ever. We want everyone to be able to have a great experience here. And so that's kind of the, the, the idea behind those hubs. And the castle is the flagship, obviously. It's just this beautiful, beautiful architecture, stonework. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. Now, back to our chat with Andy. Um, talking experience, um, have you ever experienced a moment where like you would show up in your Lycra, maybe even with a bit of like, you know, start and muscle oil on your legs at the <laughs> farmer's door and ask, hey, sir, can we build a bicycle trail across your land? And what would the farmer say if you go a little further away from town? Have you ever experienced any funny moments there where they go, um, WTF, what are you talking about? <laughs> Well, Yins, we have experienced those, but I would say that we experienced them more on our gravel rides. So uh, we haven't got into this yet, and I don't know if you want to, Bobby, but like the, the yes. gravel scene and the gravel riding in, in the Bentonville area is, is second to none. We have over a thousand miles of unpaved roads, gravel roads, just in this county alone, right? And so we're, we're, we, we're even working on the gravel experience as well. So What I would say is the answer to that is yins is yes, but the generally speaking, the 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 weird, you know, lycra uh, interactions with the farmers have been on the gravel roads for sure. But we're, you know, one of the cool things that we're doing here is we're developing the relationships with our farmers, the people who live on these rural lands and these rural roads. Um, we're developing relationships with them and educating our riders. How do you uh, how do you behave as a gravel rider around someone riding their horse out on the road? Or how do you behave on the roads uh, with a with with a farmer driving his tractor with a you know with a hay bind behind it? Or uh, so we are we're you know we're we're looking at this this vast array of different ways of riding a bike and uh, and gravel. Obviously, we all know that it's the fastest growing segment of of riding right now, especially in the United States. And so we're working on on projects that that sustain and enhance the gravel riding experience in perpetuity here as well. So, yeah, I mean, we got to do the mountain bike for two days and in, in the gravel for one. And um, I was pretty impressed with our group. You know, we were kind of cruising down a road and then all of a sudden there was a lady on a horse and we were <laughs> with, you know, our group and George and Cappy was in the front and Christian Vanderbilt. And I was like wow, why are we stopping? And then I saw the horse. I was like very <laughs> impressed with, with George's attitude and, and realization that, Hey, listen, we're just out here for fun. We don't need this lady getting bucked off her horse. So that's, you know, to his credit, I was pretty impressed that, that he knew that etiquette around riding with a horse. But so 
we, we did what about a 50 mile ish gravel ride and yeah, um yeah. you know the the flavor of the gravel again this is coming from a cat six gravel guy was was kind of the same the whole time do you have other different flavors of gravel uh other than what we rode different different types um i'm kind of leading into you know your your rule of three event of course yeah so there's a Bobby, there's a there's a lot of we live in this really cool area in Bentonville. It's we're in Benton County, so if you go north or northeast or northwest of town, you get a lot of this lumpy, really pitchy, steep climbs, but they're very short. You get a lot of chunky gravel, uh, you know, wider, you know, higher volume tires necessary. Lots of uh, low water creek crossings. You, uh, Bobby, got to ride through a creek at one point. Um, but then if you go, it's interesting, if you head southwest of Bentonville, you get into more kind of like flatter farmland, a little bit more open, less trees, uh, the gravel's a little bit more hard pack, you can use a, you, you can ride a little bit lower volume tire. And then another beautiful point, and I think Bobby's headed in this direction, which is one of our favorite ways of experiencing a ride in Bentonville is what we call rule of three riding. And the rule of three those three things are pavement, gravel, and single track. And you and essentially you do all of those terrains on a gravel bike. And so with our vast array of mountain bike trails here, and many of them in, are green, you know, smooth flow lines, right? Um, you can jump in and out of pavement, gravel, single track, gravel, pavement, gravel, single track. You can like pop in in and out of all these different terrains all day long on a ride and you do it all on a gravel bike. And it's one of the most fun uh, ways to ride a bike that I have ever experienced. Um, and it's so well done here just because of the infrastructure that we've built around trails and connectivity, obviously. And so uh, a few years ago, uh, you're leading and I know you're leading into this, Bobby, so I'm just going to go there. Uh, a few years ago, we began, a, uh, we found an event called the rule of three and it is a, it's a hundred mile gravel race and it, it incorporates, uh, 50 miles of gravel, 30 miles of pavement and 20 miles of single track all on a gravel bike. And you're kind of all in and out of it all day long. It's a hundred miles, about 10,000 feet of climbing. It's a very, 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 very hard day on the bike. And, uh, it's, it's taken hold. We sell out and just a few minutes, 1500 spots every year. And so, uh, it's a beautiful way to celebrate community and, uh, it's a really hard day on the bike. Bobby's done it. He can attest. Um, and we got to get you back, Bobby. We got to get you back. You know, we, we talked to so many interesting <laughs> people with interesting events that Jens tends to, uh, commit us to a lot of events that, uh, would be <laughs> a logistical light nightmare. But the one thing that, about the rule of three is you just look at the mileage, right? Like you said, 50 miles on the gravel, 30 miles on uh, the pavement, 20 miles on the single track. And I kind of was like, okay, this is good. We're going to be able to go this fast because when I did the rule of three, it was a team. So you had two other teammates, the rule of three, you had to stick together and calculating the time that you're on the gravel is one speed. Calculating the time that you're on the road is a totally different speed. I was wrong with calculating the time of the single track because when I did it, the single track was much towards the end. I think that segment was eight miles and it took us 
at least two and a half or three hours to do that eight miles because we <laughs> we kept having flats, um, you know, and I'm just like, we're so close, but so far. And then it started to get dark. And then finally, we were at the finish line. But yeah, great event. Um, and then the week before we got there, there was the Big Sugar event. Tell us a little bit about the Big Sugar event, because um, we had a, a recent guest that went out and, and did that and kind of gave us a little prelude to it. And yeah. um that was that was a big week, you know, mountain yeah. bike and then a full week of activities and then the gravel at the, the the weekend before we got there. Yeah, so what we found so what what we like to call Bentonville these days is we, we feel like we're a ski town now for bikes, right? And so October's a very busy a very busy month in Bentonville because the weather's beautiful. Uh lifetime comes and they put on uh, the week before Big Sugar, as a matter of fact, they put on the Little Sugar mountain bike race, which is a hundred k um, of continuous single track, which is just wild. Um, you get a lot of the you get a lot of feedback. You know, uh, Tom Pidcock came and did it this year, and and uh, his feedback was he was like, I can't remember the last time I did a hundred k of single track without you know dirt roads in the middle or a little bit of pavement like to give you a little rest for a few minutes or a few seconds. And so he was like, that, that was brutal. Um, so the little sugar is the week before big sugar. And then the, the entire week in between little sugar and big sugar, you've got, you know, people for bikes are bringing their shift conference here. Uh, there's again, there's so many things going on in Bentonville these days in the, in the bike scene, but then you've got big sugar is kind of like the culmination of the lifetime grand prix um, which is, you know, the, the last race in that series. And that's another hundred mile gravel race that gets you, you know, a good, you know, seven, 8,000 foot of climbing. I think they have a couple thousand people show up. Um, there's festivals around it with there's outer bike the same weekend that's going on here. And so Bittenville is just this beautiful madhouse of cyclists everywhere. And it's like this, you know, I certainly love it because it's this energetic time in this tiny town and everyone's just riding bikes around, you know, it's kind of this beautiful time where like-minded people are in the same place from all over the country and all over the world. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on in this town these days and October is definitely the culmination of it, but big sugar is another, another beautiful event that gets put on here. And uh, we got to have you guys out for that one too. Jens, come see us, man. You got to come see us for big sugar rule of three, all these things. <laughs> well, if there's only one week in between, I can just stay, right? That's right. You can race the mountain bike race. It's on a Sunday. And then the following Saturday is Big Sugar. So it works out perfect for you. And then that whole week is full of all kinds of cool things going on. More riding or a bit of fly fishing, for example. Yep, sounds good to me. <laughs> hey, um, a little bit more serious question now. We talked about how great uh, mountain biking and gravel is developing. But sure. it seems like, uh, at least from my perspective here in Europe, that the road cycling scene in the U.S. is really, really declining. Sure. Do you would you have any like easy to understand reason why that would be? Because you know back then Lance Armstrong and the next generation, Bobby Christian Van der Felde, they all did really, really well, and That's right. now. It, seems like there's just no more racing going on and so why why would that be you would you have any idea ever thought of that 
I mean, I think the simple answer is that gravel has just become so popular. You know, it's, you know, I think what you what you found is it's it's difficult uh, financially speaking as a as an event promoter. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more reasons to this. This isn't the only reason. But what I found is that if you're an event promoter, it's much easier to put on a gravel event because you're not having to close roads. You don't have follow cars. You don't have uh, you, you don't have to require people. I'm sorry. You know, no offense, Brendan Quirk over at USA Cycling, but you don't have to have uh, it's not sanctioned. There's no there's no licensing involved. Um you know, for, you know, crit racing was big in America for the longest of times, and you have to close off roads for that. Those are generally speaking, losing uh, financial endeavors, generally speaking, because you got, you've got payouts, you've got all these permits. Um, but for a gravel event, you, uh, you, you don't have to close the roads. You don't have permitting. Well, in some cases you have some permitting, but, but you also don't have to, you, you, you got to, you basically got to pay for for some liability insurance, and, and then you can um, and then you let these riders go out and ride on these open gravel roads, which are not busy, and there's no generally speaking there's no payouts, and so and then let's not forget either that a gravel event uh, is very similar to what I would what I would say you know we all know this but a marathon uh, any given marathon has how many people at the front of that race going for the win. 10, 20 people, the rest of the people are participants in that event and they're going for their, their, the best time that they can get. I have no idea what's going on in the background of my computer there. Did you guys see that? <laughs> that was awesome. What in the cool. world? It looked really cool. <laughs> How, what happened there? Who knows? Okay. Your kids so anyways, must have set you up. <laughs> I know. I know, right? So like in a marathon, you've got those 10, 20 people going for the win. And then you've got serious people going for their best time. You got some people that are just hoping to finish. Uh, and, and that's what a gravel event is. But a road race or a crit, those are all competitors. All of them are. No one is entering a road race just to finish. They're all trying to win in some way. They're training for it. So what that does is like in a, in a road race or a crit, your audience is this big. But for a gravel event, it's ginormous. So it's 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 really not hard these days to put on a gravel event and charge people fifty bucks and get six hundred people to show up. And so I think there's a lot more there's a lot more involved in in the in the decline of road cycling and racing in in America these days. But I think that that's a that's a big part of it, right? Now what I will say what I will say is currently I'm a huge fan of watching World Tour racing, and I still ride my road bike. Sometimes, not very often, but I am a, I'm obsessed with watching World Tour racing, and we are we do have some more American stars coming up in the scene, right? And so, what is the result of that? That's little kids looking up to these racers and getting into it. And so, I I feel like it's a cyclical thing, and in my opinion, and I do believe that road racing will come back. I think it, I think it will come back. I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, that that's a good little se segue into my next question, because, you know, back in 
you know, the day there was this scrawny little kid in Durango, Colorado named Sepp Kuss, who just happened to win the tour of Spain this year. And yeah. when we were riding, um, you told me that there was a young girl that not only participated with you guys, but was crushing it on a That's hundred right. mile gravel ride. Right. So you mentioned build it and they will come. What about, are we starting to see some of that, that, that development, that young kids that, you know, for the first time go out there and do the green trails, then upgrade to the blue trails. And now, you know, could have a, a career in either gravel mountain bike or, or road cycling. Are there some development uh, programs in the mix down there for getting these kids from starting off riding, you know, gravel and mountain bike, and then maybe advancing and, and developing into, you know, world tour professionals? There are, uh, I, I can give you some, some nice, some nice anecdotal examples as well. Like for example, on any given day in town, uh, there will be, I mean, every single day when I'm riding my bike in town, I, I don't ever drive a car here, by the way, I live close to town. We commute by bike. Uh, we live a carless life here essentially, which is also another amazing way to, to live life, um, which is attainable in Bentonville. So, but anyways, so any, on any given day, there's kids just manualing wheelies down the road on their mountain bikes everywhere. So uh, it's this beautiful, uh, there's you know, that kid that I was telling you about. Uh, uh, I'll name him. Uh, the, the kid I was telling you about was a boy. I was also telling you about a girl, but the boy I was telling you about, his name's Park. And the first time I ever met him, he's probably 13 years old. He did a hundred mile gravel race with, or gravel ride with us the other day at a pretty quick clip. The kid's super strong. And I was like, how long you been here? Why'd you move here? And he was like, well, yeah, we moved here uh, a year ago. And I was like, well, well, why? He was like, for the bikes. <laughs> and so his parents moved him here to, to develop his skills as a cyclist. And obviously for kind of a better quality of life, because Bentonville does offer that quality of life as well. So, and then the girl that I was telling you about, I think, she, I, I believe she's 14 years old. You know, we have, uh, there's, there's at any, on any given day, there's multiple group rides leaving from town and different bike shops and bike cafes. And, um, and this girl, she, she can hang with the strongest of group rides on, on the mountain bike. I mean, she is at the front and, uh, it's just impressive to see these kids. Um, and yes, I, I, I believe Bobby, I know that you're, you're very involved in bringing, bringing up uh, and, and coaching people to that next skill level. But I personally believe that, that these kids, they need some structure, but they also need to, we also have to make sure they're having fun too. I think they're, I think that they're, you have to, this is just my belief and I could be completely wrong because I'm not in this scene like you are, Bobby, but we can't let these kids burn out. They have to be having fun while they're also in this structured, these structured training programs that takes them to the next level. And we do have that uh, happening in Bentonville. Now, a lot of those programs are burgeoning. They're new, they're, they're up and coming. And, uh, and they, and they might, some of them might have a little ways to go, but yes, those, those things are happening here, which is, ex which is super exciting for the next generation for sure. Are you, um, also, um, having a program where you would go to schools to teach the younger kids about, Hey, this is a bicycle. This is how it works. You want to try maybe, 
this afternoon or you um, support like underprivileged regions or parts or families you have programs like that as well or you mostly focus on trail building no it's all about the community here too so I can I can name three of them. We have a lot more than that, but I'll name three of them that kind of give you that'll give you a little rundown through this. The first one is uh, our community college offers a bike mechanic training school, and so you can graduate from the community college with a certificate in in, uh, in bike mechanics, which is very cool. Um, so there's one. Uh, number two would be one of uh, a couple of the high schools in town also offer bike programs where these kids are learning how to. Uh, Well, first of all, they have a, uh, there's a there's a school in town called Thaden School, a high school that has a gr the first ever gravel team, which is really cool. Um, they also teach these kids how to uh, work on bikes, build bikes. They're even building bikes in program. They're teaching these kids how to go bike packing. They're teaching these kids how to do uh, media behind cycling. So, for example, there's a girl in this school right now that's doing a uh, a documentary on how we are building the relationship uh, in gravel cycling between the rural community and the cyclists. So she's doing a documentary on that, which is really cool. And then also we have a lot of nonprofit organizations in the Bentonville area, one of them uh, called Pedal It Forward, and they offer uh, bikes to people who can't afford one for free. Um, so there's many, 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 many different programs in the Bentonville area that are, uh, that are benefiting the community that maybe the, the underserved communities or uh, maybe people who uh, don't know how to get into it or, uh, or maybe, a, a, you know, kids, you know, so all these different ways um, we've got all these programs in town that are, uh, that are serving these communities, which is building our building on our entire community behind cycling, which is very, very, very cool. It's very exciting. It's a very, it's, I'm telling you, it's an exciting time to be in Bentonville. And yeah, okay, we've talked enough about biking, <laughs> gravel, dirt, because Bentonville is much more than that. I mean, the culture yeah. Yeah. Um, that that is there. Uh, I was absolutely blown away with the Crystal Bridges Museum of Modern Art. Um, yep. I didn't expect to see a fo uh, Floyd Wright, uh, <laughs> Fred Floyd, Floyd Wright, Wright. Uh, yeah. house in Bentonville. Um, I. I was shocked and it's only yeah. getting bigger. Tell us a little bit about the culture that's being developed in, in Bentonville as well. Yeah. So it doesn't stop with bikes, obviously. Um, you know, the, the, the art scene is, is a, is actually quite big. We've got, uh, the crystal bridges, uh, museum. And then we also have the momentary. I believe you did, you did visit the momentary, right, Bobby? Yes, so we got they were in between exhibits, but I got to yeah. see that property. It was amazing. Okay, yeah. So we have a couple of world-class museums in town. We also have what's called the Amazium, which is a world-class kids museum in town as well. So there is this really, really heavy focus on the arts here, um, which is which is very, very cool. We also have uh, leaned heavily into culinary and food, uh, music. Uh, the momentary is leaning heavily into the the live music scene out, uh, out on the lawn, like outdoor music venues. And so there is this, there is this, uh, there is this culmination of bikes, art, food, community, 
um, that is that we're focusing really, really heavily on. And we're not even stopping there. We're stopping with or we're 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 moving into more forms of outdoor recreation, which could be rock climbing or paddling, uh, trail running. We've got all of these. We've got all of this infrastructure and in, in, in natural resources here. For example, I mean, Bobby, you saw a lot of our waterways. There's a lot of beautiful waterways in northwest Arkansas for paddling. And so we're leaning heavily into all of these areas for what? A better quality of life for people, right? So um, and, and industry as well. We're enticing and luring tech here. We're, uh, we're enticing and luring uh, bike industry here. You know, there's a lot of bike brands that have either moved here or are moving here. So again, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a broken record and I'm being repetitive here, but it's a very exciting time to be in Bentonville right now. That's for sure. You know, just out of my curiosity now, uh, for my curiosity, um, now we talked about the community doing all these activities and sports and so on. Um, have you seen that the Bentonville population is healthier than the average American or is there no connection to see? Is it growing? Is that what you're saying? Is are you saying that is the Bentonville uh, no, population? I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no, what I'm trying is if you have all these people doing these sports, you have less people with obesity or overweight. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm or sorry. Your yes. general population. Are you healthier than the rest of America or... That's a good. That's a. That's actually a really good question, Yins. And uh, while I don't have, while I don't have statistics for you in in front of me right now to 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 you know to tell you, uh, absolutely, we are a much healthier, happier community than you'll find, in my opinion, anywhere in in, in the country. And uh, a, a more more anecdotal uh, evidence here. Uh, everyone waves at everyone here. Everyone says hi to you on the street. I mean, Bobby, you can attest to this. People are friendly. They're happy. Um, we have we have clean streets. We have uh, beautiful places for people to hang out that even if they're not interested in bikes, we've got beautiful parks. Um, you don't have to be a cyclist to love living in Bentonville. That's for that's for sure. We do offer a lot of community. We have every every Saturday morning is the farmer's market on the square every Saturday morning, like These are things that that contribute to the overall well-being of an entire community, not just for us people who ride bikes. That's for sure. Andy, I know you live there, but <laughs> what is your definition of a perfect day in Bentonville, Arkansas, from start to finish, from wake up till you go to bed? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I. I am self-employed. I do consult with a lot of different companies here in town, right? So, um, so I, I, I don't necessarily get up and go to the office every morning at a certain time. But my perfect day here involves um, getting on my e-bike, rolling into town for a coffee and a breakfast, do a little work at that. Uh, you know, we've got a bunch of bike, co bike co cafes in town. Bobby, you've been to the Meteor, you've been to the Hub, some of these other places that they, they're these beautiful meldings of bikes, coffee, uh, beer, food, patio, all in, all in one place, right? Um, and so my perfect day is definitely getting on my e-bike, rolling into town, uh, having a coffee at one of these cafes, maybe a little breakfast. Um, and one of the beautiful parts of doing that for me is this is a small town. 
And I get to see all of my friends every time I go to town. And so that's important for me. These are friends that I have in, you know, whether they're cyclists or maybe they're, maybe they work for the chamber or maybe they work for a, you know, a non-cycling company in town, whatever the case may be. I get to see all of my friends in this small town, right? So I do a little bit of work and a bike ride is always involved, Bobby, whether it be gravel or a mountain bike, or sometimes, like I said, I'll do a road ride, but you know, here it's, it's heavy on the gravel and mountain bike. Um, and then generally speaking, you know, we, we end every ride at one of these bike cafes with a margarita or a beer. It's just, it's just the way we do things, you know? <laughs> and so, and you know, we've got live music here. We've got, we've got, you know, a beautiful movie theater. We've got so many things going on in this town. Uh, I'm always hanging out with my friends. And so that's one of the beautiful parts of living here is the community that's involved um, along with the natural resources and the opportunities for riding or, or really whatever floats your boat. My wife trail runs a lot. So, yeah. You mentioned the e-bike, which is a great invention, isn't it? I bought one for my wife for a birthday. Now we can do bike tours together and it's just fantastic. And I'm That's not right. shy to say quite often I steal her e-bike to go yeah, to the next yeah. grocery <laughs> shop. They are just so easy to use. I love them. I have to say they are great, eh? Jens, I will, uh, you know, I know that there, there can be some, uh, some, a lot of debate, um, on the usefulness of, of e-bikes in the world. Right. And so this is, this is, this is my opinion on it. This summer, I have a 13 year old daughter this summer. I took my 13 year old daughter out. Uh, I went out on a, I would go out on 30, 40 mile gravel rides. But what I did is she's, you know, she's not my height, but if if I drop the seat down on my uh, on my uh, commuter e-bike, which has you know big mountain bike tires, she can ride with me on these thirty mile gravel rides at my pace. I'm going my pace, and she's still getting a workout. I'm getting a workout. We're stopping at all these little creek crossings. She gets to go swimming. Um, I can take I could take my mother or my father out on a ride with me, and we can go. Uh, uh, you know. Again, this sounds selfish, but we can go my pace, right? I can still get my regular ride in, but I'm taking someone out that I love or maybe a friend that otherwise wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to share this experience with. I'm able to share this experience with them right now. There's a lot of other way, other reasons for it. Like for example, I ride my bike a lot and when I'm tired, but I still want to go out on a ride with my buds, I'll get on my e-mountain bike. They can ride their regular mountain bikes. I just want to be with my buds, hanging out with them, right? There's so many reasons for riding an e-bike. And um, and I'm okay with the people who, who disagree with these reasons. But I feel like e-bikes are a game changer. They help people get into biking who otherwise would not have been able to do that, right? And then they help people like me for commuting, taking my friends out on rides that I wouldn't be able to take with. Or when I'm tired, I can still go ride my bike, you know, or not feeling great. I just think there's a myriad of reasons for e-bikes. And we're seeing here in Bentonville, we're seeing an explosion in e-bikes on the trails, uh, people commuting. Most of the people commuting on their bikes here in town, they're commuting on e-bikes these days. It's, 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 I'm, a, I'm a believer. I'm a full believer in them, for sure. Well, um, we've said this many times on our podcast. We're big believers uh, for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. So... Yeah. Um, 
Well, Andy, listen, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with ourselves, our listeners and viewers. Good luck with everything that you're going down that's going on down there in, in Bentonville and with all your projects and look forward to to coming back and uh I'll bring this little knucklehead along with me hopefully sometime. Heck yeah. Yes, you gotta bring him. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys, Yins. It was an honor to meet you. I have been huge fans of all of you guys for years. It, it you know, I I told George the other day, I sent him a, a follow-up text and I was like, it's pretty interesting. Like I've you know, watched you guys on TV racing for years. And it's just a pleasure to get to meet you finally. I'm, you know, who would have known that one day I'd get to meet some people that I was like cheering for on, you know, at the tour or whatever, you know, it's very cool. So it was an honor for me to talk to you guys. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Big, huge thank you to Andy Chastine for being our guest. Thanks a million for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shock Giraffe. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Payne. And please remember to check the video version of this podcast by heading to the Outside Watch YouTube channel. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, threads, and Facebook. Just head to at Bobby and Jens. Give us a follow. This week, we want to know what, in your opinion, makes the perfect trail.